Anybody know who this is? It is the great and powerful Oz, right? How many of y'all watch this kid? Watch this kid. Watch this when you were kids. My family went to church every time the doors were open. Mom played the piano or organ as long as I can remember. And, and I don't know why, but one time a year when the Wizard of Oz would come on, my sister and I would get to stay home from church on Sunday nights. It was in black and white, and, and sis and I would go make popcorn. We'd go plop down in front of the TV, and it's the one time every year. And it was the same movie every year. Mom said, oh, you can stay home tonight. We're like, yes. So we'd go watch The Wizard of Oz. And one of my favorite scenes is at the very end. You know, when, when the wicked witch is dead, and, and they've come, and they brought the broomstick, and they've done all of that stuff. And then Toto, go ahead and put that next one up there, Mike. Toto runs over there and pulls back the curtain. And you see this little man feverishly working all of the levers. And, and you know, because Oz is great and powerful and he's loud and the fire's going and it's thundering and all that stuff. And you remember what he says when he pulls back the curtain? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I just thought that was the funniest thing as a kid. We find out at the end of the movie that the great and powerful Oz isn't great and powerful. He's just an illusion. And we find out that... Um, that he's just pretend. And see, last week we, we were looking at this whole idea of the man behind the curtain that drives most of our purchases in life. And we figured out that it's an illusion as well. Do you remember what it was? Discontentment. Thank you. Man, one of us has got to do a better job. I got to do a better job preaching. Y'all got to do a better job of remembering. But okay, we'll, we'll keep reviewing until you got it. Discontentment is what drives a lot of our purchases. And see, we live in a society where you get catalogs that you didn't order, right? And it has all this stuff that you didn't know you needed. Um, we have TV commercials that are relentless. I was watching a movie a couple weeks ago. I'm not kidding. For every six minutes, I, I timed it. Every six minutes of movie, there was six minutes of commercials. I finally DVR'd the thing. I said, I can't do this. It took too long, and so then I could fast-forward through the commercials. You hear it on radio. We see it on billboards. Car lots are everywhere. Not that there's anything wrong with car lots, Chase. Um, but car lots are everywhere. And, and, and have you noticed when you go to the big city that they put these big, stupid, inflatable animals on things like gorillas and lizards and all this stuff? So you'll pay attention. Look over here. Look over here. That's the whole point of them, trying to get your attention. We live in a, in a culture where you can actually see the things that you didn't even know you needed until you see them, right? Right? <clears throat> my parents this year, my, my mom in just a few weeks will turn 87, and my dad uh, in May will turn 91. Dad's had some really heart issues and some things like that. We had a couple of scares. He's doing better now, so um, he'll turn 91 this year. Well, my parents were married 53 years. This year, April 5th, will be 68 years my parents have been married. They were married 53 years before they ever bought their first brand new vehicle. It was in 1997, and we were going to go on a mission trip to Montana, and so mom and dad were going to go with Janie and me, and we were going to take Caleb and Rachel. Hannah wasn't born yet. Rachel was only two months old. Mom and dad go out and buy a van so that we can drive to Montana in, in comfort, and that was their very first new vehicle purchase. And then about seven or eight years ago, mom got her dream car. It's a Lincoln Town Car. It is a boat. I mean, it's the yacht with wheels, you know, type thing. And if y'all saw any of the pictures I put on Facebook when we were cleaning my dad's garage, dude, I don't know how they got that thing in, the, in that one car garage. But anyway, I remember when mom got it, she was so proud. 
It had a few thousand miles on it. It wasn't spanking, brand spanking new, but it still had that new car smell. It was shiny, had all the bells and whistles, and mom was so proud. And it was okay for my mom to be proud because they had the cash to pay for it. After 53 years of marriage, or by that time it was 60 years of marriage, they had accumulated all of this cash, and they went out and they paid cash. But here's, here's the problem in our society. If you go through FPU, Dave Ramsey's going to tell you this. In, in our society, when we come out at 25, 26, whatever it is, we get married, we think we should have immediately what our parents had after 50 years of marriage. And Dave says, no, 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 it does not work that way. You've got to put forth some effort. You've got to do some other things. But see, we go, we see somebody get a new car. My mom gets a new car. Your mom gets a new car. We see somebody get a new car, and we go and we smell that car, and we go, oh! And these pangs just start to hit us in the gut, right? And we think, my car smells like family. (laughs) McNuggets between the seats, half-eaten french fries, dirty socks. How do they get up under the seat in in the coils under the seat? I don't know. But when you go to clean that thing, there's trash everywhere. And I want something new. Now, maybe it's not a new car, but let me just put it this way. You have something that kind of pushes your discontentment button that you want. And when you see your dream, whatever it is, it could be a camera, it could be a computer, it could be a kitchen gadget, it could be a new kitchen, whatever it is, you have something that, that pushes your button. And when you see it, you want it. And this, this voice says, buy it. And you're like, okay, I will. No matter what happens, I'll go and, and buy it. Well, let me just tell you this. This is insanity because discontentment is an appetite that's never fully or finally satisfied in this lifetime. If you feed discontentment, it will grow. Now, we are cursed because we live in this society that has this message. This is the first thing on your listening guide. Our society says, focus on what you don't have, right? All the time. You don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have at least, you don't have a newer one, you don't have the latest. So you need to focus on this because they know if you focus on it, discontentment takes over and you'll eventually buy it. But satisfying that appetite is not the answer. Discontentment never goes away. But like every problem we face, God has an answer how to handle discontentment. We're going to look at it today. And, and you need to realize, when these words were written, the culture that this was written to, First Timothy was written to a young pastor. Paul is writing to a young pastor telling him how to get these churches started in the Hebrew culture. And in the Hebrew culture, they worked very hard every day. Most of them were farmers or shepherds or something. They worked very hard to provide for their families. They worked six days a week from sunup until sundown. And it was very risky in that culture, in, in their idea, to not work a seventh day because you could go hungry, but God had commanded the, seventh, the Sabbath day you're supposed to take off. And so I want you to think about that mindset. These people worked hard. The Bible doesn't say don't work hard. The Bible applauds hard work, but it says be careful how you prioritize things. We looked at these verses last week, but we're going to run over them quickly again. First Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, uh, we brought nothing with us into this world, and we can take, can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. We're going to look at more of that in just a minute. Now let's continue on with the passage for today. Verse 9. 
But people who long to be rich, all right, we defined rich last week as those who have more than enough, those who have extra. We said the problem in our culture is here's my salary, here's my lifestyle, and we let my lifestyle chase against my salary all the time. If we get a raise, my lifestyle expands. We said all of that stuff. We said most of us in this room, if we ratcheted down our lifestyle one one or two notches, we'd still be okay and we would have extra right? If you have any extra, the Bible says that you're rich or that if you have extra, then you're rich. So he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Here's what the Bible is saying. Paul is saying to this young pastor, be very careful and talk to rich people, which is, by the way, everybody in this room. If you don't believe it, go to Haiti with us. You'll find out you're rich. Talk to rich people and say, be very careful if you have more than what you need because you are setting yourself up for a certain um, set of temptations that poor people, broke people, never experience. That's what he's about to enumerate here as we go through this. People who long to be rich, he says... Isn't that everybody in this room? Doesn't everybody want a little more than you have? Doesn't everybody want, you know, we want to have money. We want to be comfortable, those types of things. He says, if becoming wealthy is your goal, watch out. Not because becoming wealthy is bad, but because the temptations that go along with wealth are insidious and can trap you. If that's your main concern, he says, watch out. The idea these people want more than they need and and they are consumed with discontentment financially and so he says, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall if you're consumed with finances. Verse 10. For the love of money, now let's define that. The love of money means prioritizing money at the top of your list. We've all known people who chased money relentlessly that that was number one. That's what it means. The love of money, putting money at the top. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money. This blows my mind, this next part. Some people want money so much that they have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. If you have more than you need, the temptation is you're going to leave Christianity to pursue more of what you crave. And, and really, it's no, no different than any other addiction. A money addiction is no different, really, than another addiction. If you're not careful, it will destroy your life. And we've seen people, families been destroyed. Right? Anybody seen families? where they pursued money and it cost them everything. And, and in fact, I think, I think some of you here have chased money before. And you're here today because either, one, God took it all from you. Or you finally came to the realization that money, chasing money, leaves you empty and it destroys your life. So if we're going to combat this discontentment thing, we got to learn what God says about contentment. That's the second thing on your listening guide. God says, focus on what you do have. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Contentment is focusing on the good things. You've got health. Most of you have at least food that you're going to go eat today. Most of you have a roof over your head. Most of you have children who are pretty healthy. Focus on those types of things. All the toys you have, all the things that God's already given you. Be content, be okay with the things you already have, and save for the things that you don't have. So that brings me back to, I'm going to go over this bad roadmap again. If you follow this roadmap, the discontentment roadmap then you're going to end up with discontentment. And it says, spend, repay debt, pay taxes, save and give. And people look at that and they say, what's wrong with that? And I say, exactly nothing if you want to get lost. But if you want to be found and you want to fight discontentment, you got to go to God's roadmap. 
which is completely opposite. God always does this. He turns things upside down. Give, save, pay taxes, repay debt, and you live on the rest. Now think this through. If giving to the kingdom of God causes the God of the universe to get personally involved in your finances, why would you not want to give to the kingdom of God? So people ask me, well, wait, shouldn't, shouldn't I repay debt before I give to the kingdom of God? And my answer is very simple, and it's always the same. When do you want God involved in your finances? After you're out of debt or while you're in debt? There are people in this church who've paid off thousands of dollars of debt. I've witnessed it myself. And at the same time, they still gave to the kingdom of God. And I believe that God enabled them to pay off their debt faster because he was involved in their finances. So when do you want God involved? Whenever, whenever you answer that question, that'll determine when you start giving to the kingdom of God. So the first you give. Second, you pay yourself. And if you're in Financial Peace University, if you sign up for that, one of the first things Dave is going to talk about is baby step one. There's seven baby steps. Baby step one um, is to get a $1,000 emergency fund. And, and people freak out and they say, oh, there's no way. Well, yeah, there is. And, and the way you do it may be different than the way Janie and I did it. But when you get $1,000, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind that you know you're not going to go over the financial cliff when something happens because tires wear out, dishwashers wear out, things wear out, and you have an emergency fund to fight against that. And, and here's the thing. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but about... One-fourth of our crowd is the same from week to week, and, and the rest, you know, come in, and, and we're okay with that. But I have to repeat myself sometimes. And um, <laughs> if, if you're going to do things God's way, God gets involved. And, and I lost my train of thought, so I'm just going to quit. <laughs> I was trying to get back around there, and it'll come back in a minute. <clears throat> so you pay God first, you pay yourself second, then you pay taxes, then you repay debt, and then you live on the leftovers. Following the bad roadmaps what got you into trouble... <laughs> so don't get mad at me. Don't, don't kick and scream and, and say, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just telling you, following God's directions in any area of your life leads to freedom, not to bondage. If you feel financial pressure right now, it's because you're not doing things God's way. Verse 11. But you, Timothy... Okay, there's always a but, and then, then... Okay, this is how other people do that. But you, Timothy, belong to God... So run from all these evil things and follow what is right and good. Pursue a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 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 So he said, here's the framework. If you want to get off of the discontentment thing and you want to learn contentment, then you have to change your focus from running after this, these things, money and stuff, to completely turn around and chase something else. This is the principle. Stop looking at one thing and you start looking at something else. You start chasing the things of God. If you have money, more money than you need, if you have extra, the temptation is going to be to spend it all on yourself. You'll be tempted to allow all your decisions to go through the whole thing of can I afford it or do we have the finances for that? To guard against that, you have to become an adult and make an adult-like decision that I'm not going to be dominated by this world but I'm going to be dominated by another world. And the king of that world says, I need to do things a little bit differently. So the way you deal with this contentment is not to say, I'm content, I'm content, I love my sorry, stinking car. You know, that's not how you become content. You refocus from the bad roadmap to the good roadmap. 
Now, if you're following along on version, on I always put this on version. Those of you who have smartphones and you can, you know, I put the notes and stuff on there. You'll notice that I'm changing from the New Living Translation to the NIV because of this first word of verse 17. In the NLT, New Living Translation, it says teach. That's not strong enough. Here's what Paul is saying to the young pastor. He says, command. Stand up, Timmy. <laughs> Preacher Timmy, stand up and command rich people that they should do this. And here's what he says. Command those who are rich in the present world, those who have more than they need in this world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, we're not at all talking about guilting you into giving to the kingdom of God. If you feel guilty, I tell people, don't give. Because guilt does not come from God. Guilt comes from the enemy of God. Now, conviction from the Holy Spirit, if you've got this piercing in your heart or in your gut and you're going, oh, I know that God's speaking to me, you talk, take that up with God, not with the preacher. But here's what this says. Not only are you supposed to give to the kingdom of God, but this says God gives you so much extra that you're supposed to enjoy it. We pursue something entirely different, not the money as the number one goal. We pursue something over here. And while we're pursuing the things of God, we can still enjoy the things that we have. It is okay to enjoy what God has blessed you with. The way we think about it is when, when we give and when we save, um, we try to do everything else out of the 80%. If, if we can buy a car out of the 80%, woohoo, yay, praise God. If we can go on a cruise out of the 80%, woohoo, yay, praise God. We don't rip off the kingdom of God and we don't rip off our own kingdom first. We live out of the 80%. Verse 18. Here's that word again. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, this is not optional. Command them not to trust money. And if there's ever a time not to trust money, would you say that it's now? I talked to lots of people in the oil field industry. Now is not a real solid time for financial decisions, right? And you know how, now I'm not saying that the oil field anything, but you know how our country has gotten into this mess? Leaders, whether it's government or, or some of the leaders of some of our industries, have become discontent with what they have. And they're consumed with wanting more. And so they pay themselves larger salaries and more bonuses and things like that. And before long, it's this vicious cycle. And their company is destroyed because they don't have sound financial principles. Our country does not have sound financial principles. And you cannot sustain it when you're spending more than you take in. It's just, it's just common sense. Even if you're not good at math, you can figure that part out. Command them to, to use their money to do good. So God is saying through Paul to Timothy to us, if you have extra time, you're supposed to use it for the benefit of others. If you have extra money, you're supposed to use it for the benefit of others. If you have extra talents, you're supposed to use it for the benefit of others. And here's the deal. Instead of being impressed and amazed at what you drive... They'll be impressed and amazed at what you have done to impact their lives. It's focusing on something that's different from what our culture tells us what we're, that we're supposed to do. Be generous and willing to share what you drive and where you live. And to be rich in good deeds means we have extra. We have an abundance of good deeds towards other people. Not an occasional good deed, but abundance of good deeds. Verse 19. In this way... 
in this way, by turning from the pursuit of things that do not lead to God and turning to the things that matter to God in this way, they, the rich people, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is, this is a great word picture. The temptation is to grab hold of something that's not even really life. Something that doesn't even give you meaning. And, and that's, the, that's what Satan wants us to do. There's no real life in pursuing things. Do you know why so many Hollywood stars get involved in saving trees or saving whales? It's because their lives are meaningless. They make all of this money, and if money is the, it equals happiness, they should be the happiest people on the planet. They make money, they have power, they have fame, and someday when they're looking in the mirror or they're doing some soul searching, they realize, I'm nothing. Take away all my money, I'm nothing. Some of them get to the end of their lives, and, and well, some of them don't even get there. Why, why do you think their marriage is in so quickly? Why do they go to drug and alcohol treatment programs so often? Why do they have surgeries to smooth wrinkles and large breasts, tuck their tummies and butts? Because they're dissatisfied with who they are, they're dissatisfied with what they've done, and their lives mean nothing. And they're desperately searching for something to get involved in. And, and here's the thing. God's word said this 3,000 years ago through a man named Solomon. He tried everything. He was the richest man to ever live. Tried it all, and he said, I've discovered that it's all chasing after the wind. Can't catch the wind, can you? I tried it as a kid. He read this verse in church, and we all ran out on the playground trying to catch the wind. Never could catch it. The Bible is true. Chasing stuff sucks the life right out of you. Solomon said it 3,000 years ago. And see, here's the thing. God never blesses you so that you can keep the blessing for yourselves. God always blesses you so that you can turn around and bless somebody else. Years ago, um, I was in Austin. I was a youth minister, and... um, I was in charge of this youth camp, and so it's actually where our, our teenagers are going to youth camp this year um, at Highland Lakes Baptist Encampment. And we were praying about who we should bring in because, you know, we were... Um, this was before there were all these different Christian uh, singers and stuff. One of my favorite singers at that time was Wayne Watson. Anybody heard of Wayne Watson? All right, you are showing your age if you've heard of Wayne Watson. <clears throat> One of the things that intrigued me, I started reading about Wayne. I was listening to his, his songs, and Janie and I were dating at the time, and, and we would listen to a lot of that stuff. One of the things that impressed me about Wayne was Wayne lived in Houston, Texas. And so it was going to be a lot easier. It was going to be cheaper on us. You know, we're a small camp. We can't afford much. Long story, I, I called Wayne. I said, hey, dude, um, didn't even talk to his agent, talked to him. I said, can you come to our camp? And he said, yeah, I think I can do that. So we got to talking, and, and I asked him why he lived in Houston, and, and where does everybody say you should go if you're going to record music? Nashville. I said, why do you live in Houston and not Nashville? He said, well, let me tell you. I know that I can't go to Nashville and be hanging around people who have a lot of stuff without wanting what they have. And so he, he built his own house in, in Houston, rec- has his own recording studio there. And he said, man, when I go to church, I go and I blend in with people. And sometimes I don't sing. This dude has a great voice. He said, sometimes I don't sing just so I can hear the people of God singing around me. And he said, it lifts up my soul. And I thought, this dude knows what he's talking about. And, and I've always been impressed by that. Years later, I was uh, at Southside here as youth minister, and we went to Glorietta, and we met a group called Mercy Me. Anybody heard of them? 
Well, our, our claim to fame around here is we knew Mercy Me before any of y'all did. Um, I mean, we actually met them at a camp, and nobody had heard of Mercy Me. In fact, we're driving up there, everybody's going, who's Mercy Me? What kind of name is Mercy Me? We got to meet these guys, and, and I invited them to come to uh, our church for a youth thing, and they're like, cool. It cost $500 to bring Mercy Me to our church the first time, and they stayed in our homes. So Jeff kept uh, Bart and his wife, the lead singer. Um, Janie and I, we had the, the keyboard player and the bass player at the time. His name was Nathan, and they slept on our floor. I mean, these were the coolest guys you've ever met. And their bus, I'm telling you, their bus, you know those big tour buses? They had a driver's seat and nothing in it except inflatable air mattresses at the back. And then they had this little one head, you know those little uh, propane things that you put on top of a 16-ounce propane cylinder, that heater thing? They had that clipped on the front of the bus. And so, you know, I'm talking to them and say, hey, will y'all come down? Yeah, we'd love to come down. And I said, how much is it going to cost? They said, well, man, we, we don't feel like we can charge more than, you know, 100 bucks per person. You know, there's five guys in the band. And he said, and, and we charge $50 for our bus because our bus is kind of rough and it needs some help. And so $550, we bring these guys down. They, they sleep on the floors. And we got to talking to them. And we found out that they, for years, they did not go to Nashville. In fact, they went to Nashville and some people said, we will sign you to a contract if you'll quit singing worship music. Guys got together and they said, that's who we are. And so they turned down their dream because they said, that's not who we are. And it was years later, I don't remember how many years later, before Mercy Me signed on a label. And now everybody's heard of Mercy Me. But we got to see those guys, and we got to see their hearts. And I believe they were planting their lives in things that matter. They touched a group of folks here that, that a lot of folks, we can't, we can't bring in some of the big names. I remember when people, when I was at Baylor, when people got too, too expensive to come to Baylor, you're expensive, You've priced yourself out of ministry. And I'm not saying that they're bad people or whatever. I'm just saying that we've got to focus on something that matters a little more than that. Paul says, tell those rich people there is a way to leverage their extra time and extra money in such a way. Leverage it in good deeds and and generosity that even in this life, you can grab hold of something that is real life, that has meaning and purpose. There is a way around to, to avoid the trap of temptation that comes along with being rich in this world. So this next thing, number three, prosperity is a difficult test. And you and I are facing it all the time. It's difficult because we face a different set of uh, temptations than poor people do, than broke people do. And so how do we pass the test? Well, number four, generosity bridles discontentment. You pass the test by learning to be generous. You can't live in a vacuum. I went to see my dad. My brother and I, two weeks ago, we drove up to see my dad because we actually thought we were going to lose him. And, and we were going to go up, and he's got this left eye that has this pressure in it, and they're saying if he doesn't have surgery on it pretty soon, his, his whole eyeball is going to explode, and you know, it's going to be this mess. Well, he's blind in that eye. Well, dad was feeling better by the time we got there. In fact, he, the, he was messing around with the nurses at the hospital so much, they're like, please, take him home. Uh, they loved him to death because he's just ornery. You know, and, and this is my dad. I walked in the living room, and dad's on his, in his chair. Nobody's in there, and he doesn't know I'm in there because he can't hear very well anymore. So he's in there doing this. I'm just standing there watching him. He doesn't know. He goes, huh, that makes a funny sound. I said, I said, Daddy, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm just exercising. 
So he's feeling much better. So we're, we're sitting at the table with him and, and we're giving him a hard time because that's our family, man. We're just relentless with, with giving each other a hard time. So dad's sitting at his chair and I'm sitting here. My brother's sitting here. Mom's sitting on her side of the table. And we're kind of moved back from the table. You know, it's, we're just taking it easy after lunch. And I'm giving my dad a hard time. And I got a pretty good jab. And dad turns and looks at me and he goes, I can make you disappear anytime I want. And he closes his good eye. And he goes, you're gone. And he sat there, you know, really proud of himself. I said, can you still hear me? Yeah. <laughs> the point is, you, don't, you can't live in a vacuum. You, you can't walk around and close your good eye or both of your eyes and pretend you don't see stuff around you. We're going to see it. You're going to go through malls somewhere, maybe not here. We, we have a mall, but there's, you know, they're not as big as other malls. I'm not, di- I'm not dissing our mall. Please don't say- We got the library at the mall. I mean, it's awesome. And we have pennies and, and something else. I don't even know what else we have there. We got barbecue. But, but the point is, you can't go through Walmart without seeing stuff, right? <laughs> I guess you could, but that'd be kind of foolish. The, the point is not to pretend it's not there. The point is to focus on something that matters. Focus on something that's different. We're trying to manage an appetite here, and you know how we're going to manage that appetite? The best way I know how is planned and strategic generosity. And around here, we teach priority percentage giving. Priority means I give to the kingdom of God before I live. We've made that a priority for years. Percentage means I've decided, Janie and I have decided together, a percentage of our income that we give to the kingdom of God before we live. In the Old Testament, God said to bring 10% into, the, into his house, which is where you worship. And in Malachi, if you read that, he says, you're robbing me. In the New Testament, the only time that Jesus commended the Pharisees, the, the religious people that he was always calling them snakes and vipers and, and hypocrites and whitewashed tombs, the only time he commended them was when they tithed. They, they would go into their kitchens and they would take even the smallest um, uh, spices that they had in their kitchen cabinets and they would give 10% of that to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, that's good. You should tithe. And he said, don't forget to love people and share grace and mercy and to help others. So Jesus commended the tithe. And so we teach, teach the biblical principle. Tithe is T-I-T-H-E. We teach the biblical principle of the tithe, which means 10%. And we call it priority because we believe the first, percent, first 10% goes to God. Second 10% goes to savings. Then you live on 80% of your income. And here's the reason this is so important. The reason we're going over and over this is because we are constantly being shown what we don't have. The only time I know of in this country that you are shown what others don't have is after disasters. We're still talking about Katrina. We're still talking about Sandy, which wasn't even the level of Katrina at all, but there's still people uh, on the East Coast that don't have electricity because of Sandy. They just weren't prepared for it. The only time we're... In, in fact, you and I could... If you don't watch the news, you could go through life and never know what others don't have. We live in, in that type of society. So if we're, going to, if we're going to do anything about this discontentment thing, we've got to become aware, and, and that's number five, focus on what others don't have. It will radically change your perspective. And you'll begin to see as God sees, and then our whole prayer is when you see as God sees, that you'll do as God says. 
uh, we went, this will be our fourth time to go to Haiti. Last year was Rachel's first time. Caleb's been with me all three times, and, and last year was Rachel's first time. And we were driving in the bus up to our church at Cote Plage, um, M-E-B-S-H, which stands for Missionary Evangelical Baptist of Southern Haiti. Um, so we're coming up to this church where we stay. And, and outside, and it wasn't the first day, it was, I think, that after we'd gone to work, we come back, and there's all people standing around trying to either get into church or get into school. And Rachel goes, Dad, isn't that your shirt? And I looked and I said, yeah, it is. And I think I'd given it the first year that we came. And, and you know, what, what we did was we took extra clothing and, and we even left the clothes that we worked in because folks there don't have a lot of stuff. In the church, they said, you know, if it's clean, you put it here. If it's, clean, if it's unclean, you put it here. And so they had ladies come in and wash the clothes and fold them. And then the church distributed to people around there who had needs. And it is the craziest thing to see stuff that you and I wouldn't even bother wearing again that they wear year after year because it's all they have. First year, you know, we had this little deal where we gave all of our shoes away to the workers and, and these guys were some of the most proud people you've ever seen. They, they come to the work site and, and they will change out of their nice clothes because that's how they travel. And then they put on their work clothes. They work, you, they work like crazy. The, these guys are unbelievable. At the end of the day, they go change clothes so they can get back on the, the transportation and, and go wherever they need to, to to their homes. They would go put on clothes either we gave them or shoes. They, they come walking out with our shoes on. And, and so if you go somewhere, I'm, I'm challenging you to go on a short-term mission trip, whether it's Haiti or somewhere else, go on a trip because it will change the way you see life. Part of the reason I want all of my kids to go, Hannah and Janie are, are planning to go with us this year, I want all of my kids to experience this because I want them to see that others are far worse off than we are. We may not have as much money as, as a neighbor. We may not have as much money to do whatever it is, but we're still rich in the eyes of the world. And, you know, we had Pastor Sampson stay in our church, stay in our home last year, and he's going to come back uh, sometime. We had to postpone him because of the, my dad's illness. Um, but I was almost embarrassed for Pastor Sampson to come and stay in my home because we have so much. Get involved in something. We do Be the Church. We'll, we'll do another one uh, in a few months where we go out into a neighborhood and, and, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and we will just give. The, the, the workers of the city that I talked to when we did this last one at Greens Park were amazed. They're like, why are you guys out here? We said, we just want to help because God's done so much for us. We want to share. You know, we gave away a bunch of stuff with the free garage sale and, and uh, there were a few folks that went around the neighborhood and, and mowed lawns and people were blown away because in this day and age, it is unusual for a church to do anything outside its walls. That's got to stop. We have to focus on what others do not have. And there are people in, in our driving distance of our church that don't have anything. And we drive by them day after day. And we don't pay any attention because we're so caught up in what I don't have. He says, command those who are rich in this present world to be generous with their extra time, be generous with their extra money, become aware of what others don't have. If you do this, if you live by God's roadmap, I can promise you, you'll be better off financially someone else will be better off financially. The kingdom of God will be funded. Everybody wins. 
We just have to take our eyes off of ourselves. Awareness fuels generosity. Generosity bridles discontentment. Where do you want to be at the end of the day? Content or discontent? Let's pray together. God, it's no accident that that you put us in this country at this time. It's no accident that this group of people are here today. What a huge difference we could make for the kingdom of God. If we quit focusing on what we don't have and began to look around and see what others don't have. May New Life Community Church become an outward-focused church and never an inward-focused one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.